Hey, it's you, man, from KC95 here. Good evening, and welcome to Toasted Tavern. Your host, Scott Tobin, and the man called Wags are ready to bring you the night in sports. So pull up a stool, grab a drink, and let's get toasted. And good evening, and welcome into the Toasted Tavern. I am your host, the man called Wags, alongside Scott Tobin. We are back and better than ever, and yes, I know, there's a bit of an echo. There's some new stuff behind me. You're like, wait a second, what happened? Oh, well, I'm house-sitting once again for my brother. Uh, he and his family are just so nice. They are out in Vegas right now. They're actually going to be going to see the uh, the Blues in Vegas on Wednesday night. Uh, so I get a chance to house-sit for them once again. So different background, different atmosphere, but still the same great Toasted Tavern content you come to know and love. And Scott, I am exhausted, and I know you are too, but there's a lot to talk about tonight. There are, but before we get into it, how jealous are you that Nick and his family are going to Vegas to see the Blues? Uh, pretty, pretty jealous. I mean, it, it's not like it's just him and his wife. The kids are going too. There, that's pretty nice. I mean, I know we didn't get to travel much as kids to, to you know opponents, but uh, you know, good for them. I got a chance to go with with my brother and his wife to Vegas uh, a couple months ago, so I got to have that experience. But yeah, going to see a hockey game would be so so cool. Yeah, I hope they have a good time. Same here, same here. But uh, until then, I get to hang out at their house. They got two brand new itty bitty kittens, so you know there's going to be some some curling up and you know, <laughs> playing with some kitty cats. And yeah, I know. I, I, I mean, how am I still single? I don't know. Well, that's a whole different story. Uh, like I said, plenty of stuff to talk about tonight. We got NFL Week Six wrapping up tonight with a doozy of a game between Buffalo and Tennessee. Had some very interesting games yesterday. We had. We'll get our picks and how we did, which honestly, both of us did pretty damn well yesterday. Uh, each each of us only lost three games, so they were different games, and we'll get to that in a little bit as well. Uh, the Blues are getting ready to get underway in Arizona against the Coyotes tonight. Uh, we'll see if they're able to reverse the domination that the Coyotes have had against the Blues in recent memory, including that seven-game series last year, which we hope we never see again in the regular season. But first... We have to talk about the response from former Cardinals manager Mike Schilt. It was juicy. It was full of details. It got the entire fan base riled up. It makes you question everything about the St. Louis. Oh, no, wait. He still just was a company man, and that was about it. Uh, Mike Schilt, man, his response today was, I think, what we all expected it to be. No real information. Uh, I think the biggest thing that came out of it was the, the fact that he was just so emotional about the organization as a whole, a, an organization that just fired him, and yet he's still talking glowingly about him. What was your reaction hearing Mike Schultz's comments today uh, after being fired on Thursday? Yeah, I mean, like you said, it's pretty much what we expected. You know, he pretty much still towed the company line and talked about his love and respect for the Cardinal organization, which we knew he was going to do. I mean, he's he is part of that organization, always will be. You know, after 18 years, he will always be part of Cardinal Nation and, and that Cardinal Foundation and uh, talked about that, how he wanted to see the organization move on and wished him well and talked about the fact that he was still friends with Mo and DeWitt, that they parted on good on good terms as much as you can, I guess, under the situation. Um, but, yeah, other than that, we really didn't find out much more. I mean, I don't think we're ever really going to find out exactly what happened. Um, you know, lots of rumors floating around that there were some issues with some of the people in his coaching staff that maybe he was a little too critical of Mo and some of the things that 
Mo was trying to push, you know, at the, around the trade deadline when uh, Schilt was trying to tell everybody this team was still in it and they needed to make big moves. And he felt like Mo didn't do enough at the time or not fast enough potentially. Um, but, you know, for the most part, you know, again, just kind of a love fest for, for the Cardinals. He really went out of his way to uh, really praise Ali Marmol and all of the coaches, all of the coaches for the most part. Um, so that was nice to see. You know, you hate to see. You would have hated to see it get ugly, you know. But uh, I think the fact that the Cardinals actually shared the link and it was almost still kind of a joint press conference was pretty interesting. You don't normally see that happen. It's kind of like, okay, welcome to the Cardinals. Here's our former manager that we fired yesterday. Let's all give him a round of applause. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, we'll see where we go from here. I think I think Schultz going to get a pretty good opportunity at interviews with the Padres. It sounds like San Diego may be really interested in – Potentially, you know, I mean, there there are a little bit of rumblings that maybe the Cardinals talked to him about an extension and maybe he wasn't as jubilant about that because of the issues that he'd had at the offseason and maybe he even mentioned to the Cardinals that other teams had already contacted him about the possibility of him stepping away. So, I mean, you know, and if, if he takes another job with the Padres or one of those teams, then maybe we'll hear some of that for sure. Those are some of the rumblings in the background that maybe he is already kind of exploring his other options to see what was out there and wasn't as excited about the possibility of an extension as some people thought, even though he loves this organization. Exactly. I mean, we had heard talks about the extension just a couple of days before he was let go. And like you said, the fact that everything is so copacetic between the organization and himself, it doesn't feel almost right to say that he was fired. It, it really feels like both of these entities were, were just really ready to go different directions. You know, I mean, maybe like you said, it was a fact that this, this was something that was probably discussed at the halfway point of the season. They could have had these conversations back then and said, Hey, look, you know, you didn't do what I thought you were going to do. We didn't want to do what you wanted us to do, blah, blah, blah. Maybe after this season, we go our separate ways. And this is the point where they were nowhere near a playoff spot. Then all of a sudden, they go on this huge run, and the Cardinals say, see that, once again, Mike Schultz is able to get a lot out of his team in the second half and really make that playoff run. And so they maybe they reassess and go, hey, okay, let's, let's start talking extension because we do want to see you here because you are successful but Schilt probably in his mind was, like you said, maybe thinking about the next step because he knew that there was going to be no changes along his lines for for the future. And if that meant, you know, not getting rid of a guy like that, we've heard rumor that, you know, Schultz did not want Jeff Albert to stick around because of the analytical side of things. Um, it's maybe this was something that was happening midway through the season. It was going to happen regardless of how this Cardinals season ended and it's just more of a shock because they did end up making the playoffs, and there you go. Yeah, uh, you know, and I think I think it was a little bit of all of that. And we're never really, like you said, we're never really going to hear everything that happened and exactly what the cause was. You know, I find it really interesting. You talk about Jeff Albert, and you know, he's gotten so much ridicule, and so many people have wanted to run him out of town. But you look at what the Cardinals' offense did this year and what some of these minor league players, some of the top prospects are doing, and do we have to start reassessing and saying, okay, maybe Jeff Albert's approach is working because look at what Tyler O'Neill did this year. Look what Harrison Bader did this year. Look at the strides Dylan Carlson made. 
And then it's come out, you know, in the last few days that Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt are both really big fans of his approach, which I was kind of surprised to hear, honestly, because earlier in the season, we'd heard that maybe they weren't all that fond of it. So, you know, if he is, if he has helped improve these young players, and it's hard to argue that he hasn't, and then you see what guys like Nolan Gorman did in the minor leagues this year, and guys like Nick Plummer, and some of these, some of these prospects that have struggled the last couple of years, it's like they all of a sudden all figured it out. So maybe, maybe what Jeff Alberts is doing is finally working, and everybody's kind of getting on the same page. And maybe you do move forward with the analytic part. I mean, I, you definitely can't go all analytics. You've got to have a happy medium there, which. You know, that's the question. Was Mike Schilt really willing to do that? Or was it kind of, you know, a battle of I want to do things my way. I don't want you to tell me what we're going to do type of a thing. And I guess we have to kind of accept the fact that, you know, it's Moe's way or the highway right now in this organization. So we'll see. Um, you know, I'm still really curious to see where they go in this hiring process. You know, I, I know a lot of people think it's definitely going to be somebody that's already on the staff. Although to me, it almost seems like if you're going to do that, why not just say, okay, you're a new manager and let's move on and get things going towards the offseason? That's very, very true. And I, I wanted to just kind of touch base back on this Jeff Albert thing. And, you know, we have, we keep forgetting that last year was, was essentially a lost year, not just for Major League Baseball, but for the minor league system as well. So the guys that maybe were indoctrinated into this Jeff Albert system this year, it was going to take them a little while to – become comfortable with it and potentially show success. Well, obviously you look at, you know, Gorman and he showed success right off the bat, but same thing with the major league team is it, it, it took a little while to really get going. And maybe you're right. Maybe we do have to sit back and reassess what exactly that approach was. And if it does work and I'm willing to give it another year just to see, I mean, if, if they come out and they start hitting the way that they did at the end of this season, I mean, how can you sit there and argue against it? I mean, he came in after the 2018 season, which means 2019 is the first look some of these people, some of these players got at the, at the style and the structure. Uh, and then you have 2020 hit. And then all of a sudden you have a bunch of new guys coming in as well, like a Nolan Arenado. And Arenado comes in, he's used to a system that he's been part of for so long in Colorado. And change is difficult. You don't want to change if you don't have to, especially if you are successful in what you were doing. But you get to a point where maybe you were struggling a little bit and then you have to start buying into the system that you're a part of and then it starts working. Then you realize, oh, okay, all along I probably could have been doing this and been successful as well. Because you, you look at Goldschmidt. Goldschmidt hit well for the most part most of this season. So it's not like he got hot at the end. He was hot mid, you know, a, a third of the way through the season, maybe even a quarter of the way through the season and all the way on somebody that has been a part of the Jeff Albert system for the last couple of years. So it, it, you're right. I think, I think maybe you do have to reassess what Jeff Albert actually has done for this team. And he's done it without trash can beating either. Yeah, he has, you know, and like you said, it's, it's, it took a couple of years and we have to remember too, that his first year they had co-hitting instructors, you know, Mark Radaska was still there. So you had two different voices. So really, I mean, it's only been, you know, like you said, 20 was kind of a lost season. So really it's only been, the second half of 19 and this year, the Jeff Alberts has really had total control of the major league roster and the way they're hitting approach. And like we said, when you look at what Tyler O'Neill did this year, you look at Harrison Bader, you look how those guys cut down on their strikeouts, started making more contact, started hitting the ball the other way. 
you know, Dylan Carlson, like we said, made big strides. Tommy Edmond, you know, talked about it at, you know, about the, about, you know, the halfway point about the fact that they weren't getting a good message. There wasn't a good plan and everybody attacked Jeff Alberts, but now we're hearing rumors that there were, there was inner strife between maybe what was going on with Schilt and the other coaches as to who was supposed to lead the message and what was going on there. So maybe while we all threw everything at Jeff Alberts, maybe Mike Schilt was struggling with some of those issues as well. And maybe it wasn't coming from the top or maybe guys weren't sure who they were supposed to listen to for a while, you know? So, you know, maybe Jeff Alberts, maybe it does work and maybe everything the Cardinals have wanted to do with this hitting thing with him kind of taking over, you know, the whole organization's hitting it identity structure from top to bottom from low minors to the top maybe it is actually working i think we have to just wait and see what this next year brings and and we'll get a really good answer on that and you know so looking ahead to the next manager you know talked about some of the internal candidates this team may have and, and may want to promote you have to look at it and technically the last two have been internal hires i mean mike schultz obviously Mike Matheny, to an extent, was kind of an inside, you know, hire. It wasn't per se he was in the system, but he was an internal hire for the most part. So do the Cardinals look at this and go, okay, yeah, we have internal options, but the last two guys we brought in have been okay, but not able to complete the job. So do they look outside? I mean, you brought up last week, you know, the name Bruce Bochy. You brought up, you know, guys like Clint Hurdle. Is it something where they really do feel like an internal candidate will work because of the coaching staff that's already here? Or do they really feel like maybe we have to go outside and bring somebody in with the experience and with the, the pedigree to, to make this team and franchise back on top again? You know, the, the more we've talked about it, and the more that I, I've looked at things the last couple of days, I think it's going to be, I don't think it's going to be a Bochi or a Hurdle. I think it's going to be somebody that has, Closer ties to this organization in the last few years. I think Skip Schumacher is going to get a look. I think they're probably going to interview Skip. You know, he's going to get an interview with that for that Padres job as well. And, you know, he's been pushing awful hard. It'll be interesting to see if Matt Holliday gets an interview if they talk to him. I'm not sure that you want to go that way with the guy that, you know, really hasn't coached at the major league level, a la Mike Matheny. You know, I, I know Matt's coach, you know, I know coaching is in his family. His dad's been a coach, his brother's a coach in college. He's done some coaching, but I don't know that they want to jump back into the hey, you've never coached at all at the big league level. Let's come be a manager. Cause you just never know. I mean, you know, Matt Holiday was a I mean, Matt Holiday could very well end up being a major league hall of famer. And sometimes it's hard for guys like that to relate to guys that aren't on that same talent level that can't do the things that he could do. You know, some of your role players, some of your bench players, sometimes it's kind of hard. There's kind of a disconnect there with with things. So I don't know. I don't know if they want to jump that route, but I think I think they will talk to him. I think Schumacher's probably going to get a talk. I really think they should go talk to Joel McEwing again. You know, a guy who has spent all that time in Tony's in Tony's shadow, you know, was definitely a guy that knows this Cardinal organization. I think those three guys are the guys that they're probably looking at. You know, and then, you know, which one of those coaches on your, if you go internal, which one of those coaches do you go? Do you go with Stubby Clapp, a guy who was extremely successful in the minor leagues, had a couple of the best teams, minor league teams in Cardinal history, or do you go with Ali Marmol, who was the bench coach and a guy that, you know, Mike Schilt has kind of groomed the last few years? So does that, you know, is there, is there kind of a, 
and disconnect there a little bit that maybe you don't want to bring in the guy that's been Schultz's right-hand man right away. Maybe you want to go the other way. So there's still going to be some drama. I don't guess drama is the right word, but there's still going to be some intrigue to see which way they go there. Well, and you have to look at it as the same sort of thing that happened after LaRusso La left as well, because Matheny was kind of LaRusso's, I wouldn't say right-hand man, but he was a guy that LaRusso kind of took under his wing. Whereas the other candidate, Jose Okendo, seemed to kind of be on the outs at that point in time. So you have to look at that as well. I mean, do you go with, like you said, Marmol, who, like you said earlier, Mike Schilt, highly complimentary of, or do you go with a stubby clap that, you know, maybe looked at as, I wouldn't say an outsider on uh, in this case, but not the guy that Schilt has kind of brought up with him. So you know, they went down the one route of the former manager's protege. Do they go that same route or do they go the opposite? It's, it's going to be a real interesting decision that this team has to make. And the interviews are going to have to come quick because they want to have this thing figured out by middle of November. So you got basically about a month to, to get this knocked out and, and under contract because then you'll have winter meetings. you got the CBA you got to worry about as well. And that's the other thing that you had to sit there and question is, do you go out and, and get a manager before the CBA is finalized? Because maybe you hire a guy and he's not going to fit the the new CBA with maybe the DH coming in. I mean, obviously, I think any manager is able to adapt. But do you maybe wait to see if, if the CBA opens some things up or changes some things where maybe you go a different direction to bring in a guy that maybe will fit the mold of what the new – style of baseball is going to look like. Yeah. I don't think you want to wait that long. You want to get it done because like you, you want to start, you want to get a manager in place because you know, free middle of November free agency will be about to start. You know, you want to have those have that all in place so you can start digging into that and going back to the CBA. Isn't it funny? You know, a year ago we thought, man, you know, the season's going to end. I mean, I know, I know we're not to the off season yet, but, you know, it was like, oh, man, the CBA, it's going to be like World War Three. Everybody's going to be fighting. Isn't it weird how we're seeing all these little things be agreed upon and things are moving along? You know, it came out the other day that Major League Baseball is going to provide housing for minor league players, which is a huge thing. You know, that's a huge that's a huge step towards the CBA. That That's that's a move to really appease players. You know, then it sounds like they've pretty much already agreed on new rules for next year, you know, the seven-inning doubleheaders are going to go away. You know, the run, the gift runner and extra innings is going to go away. They're agreeing on all these things, and we're not hearing any issues with any of this. It makes me feel like maybe, you know, they've been working on this CBA since the lockout last year in some way, shape, or form, and maybe this is going to get done quickly and quietly and shock everybody, and we're just going to wake up one morning and there's going to be a new agreement in place. Am I dreaming, or does it seem like we're kind of moving in that direction? I think after losing most of the season last year, you have to look at it and think that both players and owners go, look, we cannot lose any more baseball by having a lockout. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't be shocked if you know, meetings have been held and conversations have took place over the last year to try and nail down a lot of these issues, like you said, that we're going to pop up in the CBA anyway. Now, obviously – it's still going to come back down to money. And if the money situation doesn't work out, that's going to be the sticking point. But because they're getting all these little loose ends essentially tied up, 
it will give them enough time to really focus on the one thing that could be a sticking point. But I think you're right, though. I mean, the, the, the owners are kind of doing a lot of things that are appeasing the players. You know, the, the housing thing for minor league teams and minor league players was a huge thing because we heard all, all summer about just the horror stories of minor leaguers and what they've had to go through and the amount of money that they make versus what they actually have to pay out. And some of them were having almost feeling like they had to take second jobs just to make ends meet. And, and you're like, no, this this can't be right. But the fact that owners in Major League Baseball have kind of come together and said, hey, we're going to do this, it does show and, and give a, a gesture of goodwill that maybe the, the negotiations will be, I wouldn't say pleasant, but at least – good enough that the players will come to the table with an open mind and maybe we'll take a, a little bit of a, of a, a back step on what they were demanding just to get this done so that they don't lose any more games next year. Yeah. Let's really hope so. Let's really hope so. And have you been watching the playoffs at all? Because I'll tell you what, the national league NLC, the NLCS has been awfully exciting these first two games and, Go Atlanta. That's all I'm going to say because I'm, I'm enjoying watching the Braves right now. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to watch any of the games. Uh, I've been obviously working and school and all that kind of stuff. I've been able to catch some of the box scores, but just yeah, the fact that the Braves walked off one of the in, in game one, uh, it's amazing because we didn't think the Braves were a team that was going to be able to compete with any of the teams in the National League. I mean, their pitching staff was kind of up and down. Their hitting, their their offense has just been a mess all year, but. They're doing enough right now to make things happen. And who knows? We might see them representing the National League in the World Series. And then you've got Boston. Boston's another team that you look at and you go, I don't know if they were expected to be where they're at right now. And they're absolutely crushing the Astros tonight. And, yeah, that series was tied 1-1. And getting the split in Houston was nice and all. But Boston, that's another big surprise right there. I mean, it's 9-3 right now in the bottom of the fifth. So we're getting a, a true AL game right now and probably a five-hour affair. But, yeah, I, I, I'll be honest. I saw the – did you see the, the the meme of the logos of the four teams that are left in the uh, Major League Baseball playoffs? It spells out blah. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think, the, I don't think these two championship series have been blah – I, I think they've been exciting, but it's going to be real interesting to see if Major League Baseball is happy with having a Boston-Atlanta series. I think they will be, but a Boston-LA series would probably be something they would want a little bit more. Yeah, although, I mean, Atlanta is a huge market. I think I think that would draw a lot of people. It's been a long time now since the Braves were in the World Series. And not only did the Braves walk off game one, they walked off game two last night, too, in the bottom of the ninth inning um, in Atlanta, which is fun. Did it off Kimley Jansen last night. Um, so yeah, they've looked really good. The Red Sox have been a surprise. I don't think anybody really thought they were going to get past Tampa. I think most people thought the Rays were going to be the team that a lot of people thought had the Rays winning the World Series, honestly, with the way they played this year. Uh, Houston's a little bit of a surprise too. I know, I know that when we did our picks, I was going back and looking at some stuff when we did our preseason picks on our former show and our other co-host, former co-host, picked both of them dead last in their divisions, which I went back and looked and had to kind of laugh. I didn't have either one of them real. I, I had Houston getting in the wild card, but I had Boston fourth in the American League. So definitely surprises there from both of those teams. Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. So it's going to be fun to see how this plays out, even though the Cardinals are not in it. 
it it should prove to be a pretty dynamic World Series. Whoever ends up coming out of this, because then you're either going to have the Dodgers coming back from a two-zero hole, or you're going to have the Astros coming back from you know possibly being down two to one and getting blown out in this game, or you got the Braves and the Red Sox meeting in, in a, a classic World Series essentially. So it's going to be dynamic one way or the other. Um, all right, let's jump over to uh, the NHL real quick. The Blues are in action right now in Arizona. Uh, the Coyotes got off to a one nothing lead, a Clayton Keller power play goal. That's right, St. Louis and Clayton Keller continues his domination of the St. Louis Blues when he plays them. Uh, outside of that, he's not that dominant. But the uh, Coyotes go up one nothing at 526 of the first period. But just about a minute and a half later, new St. Louis Blue, Paul uh, Pavel Buchnevich gets his first goal as a St. Louis Blue, and ties the game up on a wrist shot off the assist from Jordan Kyrou. So this game is tied at one with about 10 and a half to go in the first period. But we got to kind of take a step back and look at the, the first game of this season against Colorado, which went down on Saturday. A 5-3 to three Blues victory, goals by Justin Falk, Braden Shen, two from David Perron, and one from Ryan O'Reilly. And you look at the score and you go, okay, cool. They went into Colorado, they won. That's, that's a real good game. But then you got to dive a little bit deeper, and, and you have to look at how the game actually played out. Blues went up 3-0, then they ended up being up 4-1. Almost blew that 4-1 goal, 4-1 lead. A kicked goal that got called back was essentially what saved the Blues in that game. Uh, the Avalanche came at them hard. Uh, JT Comfer and Tyson Jost had uh, two goals to get that game to 4-3, and Jost scored that game tying goal that was essentially ruled back uh, late in that third period. And it's, it's surprising because the week before, there were a couple of goals that were kicked in that were allowed by the NHL. So it's it's kind of sending a mixed signal about what actually is a kick and what isn't a kick. And, and that's a whole other story for a different day. Uh, but the Blues didn't actually look all that great for winning this game 5-3 to three against a depleted Coyotes t- or, uh, Colorado team because they didn't have Nathan McKinnon or Gabriel Landeskog. Uh, McKinnon out with COVID uh, issues and Landeskog suspended for a hit on Kirby Dodge of the Chicago Blackhawks earlier in the week. Uh, and, and yet they didn't look great. I mean, they allowed 16 shots in that second period. Bennington did look strong. I don't know if uh, the, the the comeback was really his fault in a sense, but it, a lot of question marks still coming out of that game, even though it was a, a solid 5-3 to three victory. Yeah, I mean, first game of the season, you're still going to have – you know, there's going to be things you're still trying to work out, kinks you're trying to work out and figure out. But to go to Colorado, like you said, even without Landis Scog and McKenna out there and beat Colorado, that's a big win for them. You know, just to get the season off on the right foot, get a win over Colorado. But, yeah, like you said, I was a little worried. I was afraid they were going to blow it. I was like, oh, man, here we go again. Blues get a big lead, and then all of a sudden it's tied, and who knows what happens. But they were able to hold on. They got the win, and now you just have to build. And, you know, like you said, and like I said when we talked about it last week, I, there's still a lot of questions in my mind about this team. I'm anxious to see how they play the next couple of weeks, honestly, just to get a feel for where they're at and what direction they're going. But uh, at least it was a good start. At least you have that first win in the column. And like you said, you got a new guy, new guys getting goals again tonight. So that's good to get that first one in and get them get that off their backs, you know, that they're not worried about, man, when am I going to score my first goal for a new team and that kind of stuff, putting pressure on themselves. So all in all, a pretty good start for the Blues, I think. 
Yeah, and you have to remember, after losing in that series against Colorado last year, to kind of come back and go into Colorado, win a game, especially a game that maybe you didn't play your best in, that should give the Blues a little bit of confidence. They were playing faster than any team that I've seen the Blues put out there in a long time. I mean, I was talking to Mason Blues fan reacts about that. He's like, yeah, this this team was playing super fast. The one thing that has been they, I've harped on them for the last couple of years is their exits from the uh, the defensive zone, and they actually had some really good outlets from the defensive zone. They are actually getting out of the zone easier, better than they have in years past, and that's something that if they can continue that, that's going to be a big big thing for them this year. It's going to lead to a lot more offensive chances and and really keep the puck out of their defensive zone because they turned the puck over so much defensively in the last couple of years. Uh, they can cut that down. That's going to help a lot. And and you have to talk about, I, I don't know, if I wouldn't call it a resurgence. I wouldn't call it uh, a renaissance. I don't know what you call it. But David Perron, man, is just getting better with age. He's like a fine wine. It just seems like every year he just gets better and better and better. I, I don't know what it is or if it's who he's playing with, but God bless David Perron for coming back for a third time. Yeah, we're definitely getting the best of David Perron. Like you said, on this third trip wearing the blue note for Perron, you know, obviously he loves St. Louis to keep coming back that many times. But, yeah, he's definitely played really well. And that leads me into a question that I was going to ask you. You know, he's going to be a free agent here before too terribly long. It's going to be time to start thinking about whether you're going to work on a new contract extension for him. If you were going to give David Perron a contract, because he is 33 now, you know, it doesn't seem like David Perron could be that old. You forget that it's been that many years since he was that 19 year old kid that came up here. Um, do you, what, if you were going to give Perron a contract, what would you look at like years, year wise and money wise? What, what would your ideal deal be for David Perron? Oh, that's a really, really good question. I mean, looking at it right now, he's making $4 million this year. Um, you'd have to obviously you'd want to keep him to the end of his career. So, I mean, if you're talking 36, 37, uh, I mean, let's see, Alex Steen, what was, what's his age right now? I mean, obviously Steen has dealt with more injuries than a guy like Perron has, uh, but Steen was born in 84. So he's 37. Um, so if, if, you, if you take that into consideration, let's just say 37. So a four-year deal. So you'd have to look at four years. Uh, I mean, if Brandon Sod's making 4.5 this year, 28 years old, Brandon Sod's making 4.5 for the next four or five years. To sit there and say David Perron's a $4.5 million player and it's the same level as Brandon Sod probably isn't fair, but – I mean, if you go four years at four and a half, I think I'd, I think I'd be okay with that. I mean, obviously, Perron deserves a raise for everything that he's done, uh, not just this year and the last year, but everything he's done for St. Louis. I believe he does deserve a raise, and I think you do. I think you you keep him here into the end of his career. So a four year deal in my mind makes sense. Maybe you do something where you front load it for the first two years and kind of, you know, the last couple of years when maybe he's not going to be as good, you can go with a lower cap hit, but. I think I think if you go four four a four by four point five, I think I think I'd be comfortable with that. So would that be four for about eighteen, something like that? Yeah, yeah. I mean four and a half times four, uh, four, eight, twelve, sixteen. Yeah, about eighteen. Four 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 years at eighteen million. I mean, I, I think I would take that. 
That sounds like a pretty good value for the for the production you've gotten from David Perron the last couple of years. And you got to remember, contracts, especially in, in the NHL, are not essentially about future production, but about past success right. and, and rewarding that. I still think Perron can be successful for the next couple of years. Like I said, he could have that Alex Steen-type role where he does play that third, fourth line, but he's got such talent that – he would be productive down there. And I don't know if he would ever play the fourth line. I think if anything, he drops as low as the third line. It still does a lot in the four years that he would be here. But I don't know if I'd see him playing past the age of 37 because he does have a concussion history. And one one hit could end his career. But I think I'm comfortable in the, in the feeling that he would be around for the next four years and I'd be safe at, at four and a half. Yeah, that's that's not a bad deal. I think I'd be good with that too. And the fact, like you said, that Brandon Saad makes four and a half right now too means Doug Armstrong's been very, very shrewd with his contracts. And that's another big piece of this team is is the ability for him to make trades and to make signings that make sense and keep this team competitive. Uh, It's unbelievable. And I want to jump back to what you were talking about earlier about the blue schedule. Uh, You know, you have to get as many good wins as you possibly can. The first – Two weeks of this season, you know, you open in Colorado, you go to Arizona where you're at tonight, a team that you struggled against and and one that seems to have your number. Then you travel to Vegas on Wednesday night, which is another team that is a difficult team to play, especially in Vegas. Then you host the Kings for a back-to-back Saturday and Monday, both games at home, uh, which for me, I'm excited about that because I really liked that concept last year of having those kind of home-and-homes or those back-to-back little mini-series. Uh, and there's only, I think, two this year that the, that the Blues are doing. But I really like that. But the Kings are a team that I think could be a bit of a surprise. And then you have Colorado and then the rivalry game against Chicago to end the month. So these first two weeks are vitally important for the Blues. I'm not going to say season-altering. But, you know, if you put up a good showing these first two weeks, I think you alleviate a lot of fans' fears that this team is a middle-of-the-road average type of team. You're looking at the at the roster I think we're. I don't think we're giving this team enough credit. I think there's a lot of talent here, and if they if they gel early on, you need to watch out. Yeah, I agree with you. I think there's a lot of talent. I think there's just a lot of kind of unknowns on this team that a lot of people are afraid of. So, like you said, if they get off to a good start and these guys can build momentum early, that'll really be big for this team. I agree with you totally there. All righty, let's go ahead and. Uh... Peel off from the hockey talk. Uh, it's still a 1-1 game here between the Blues and Coyotes. 4.43 to go here in the first. But we've got to get to the NFL because it was another fun week, honestly, in, in the NFL. We had a lot of really good games, starting with that Tampa Bay-Philadelphia game on Thursday night, which the Bucs won. Then you move into Sunday morning. You have a game in London between the Dolphins and the Jaguars. Everybody thinking, okay. It's an easy win for Miami. I mean, they're getting two back. They're playing Jacksonville. And uh, you gotta go with the gotta go with the pick of Miami, right? Well, no, no, Jacksonville finally decides to wake up and play and play well. And they get their first win, a 23-20 victory over the Dolphins. First wins for Urban Meyer and Trevor Lawrence in the NFL. Uh, just a really, really good game overall. Lawrence, no turnovers, did throw a touchdown, so looking really good there. And I'm not gonna sit there and say that Jacksonville's getting ready to go on a run. But to get that win under their belts, to kind of put everything with Urban Meyer off to the side and play a, a solid football game, you got to give the Jacksonville Jaguars credit. They're definitely one of my winners this week because they did snap that 20-game 
losing streak. Uh, what do you see in this game that, that once again gives you a little bit of confidence in Jacksonville going forward? And, and what's going on with Miami? Uh, well, you have to look at Trevor Lawrence. You know, like you said, no turnovers yesterday, threw for 300 yards for the second time in his career so far. You know, you watch him and you can see him maturing every week. He's making throws. He can make every throw on the field. He, he's starting to look – I mean, I'm not – like you said, I'm not saying Jacksonville is going to go on a run, but he's starting to look like that number one overall quarterback. Like he's going to mature into the into the talent that everybody thought he was going to be coming into this draft. You know, and that's going to be key for them. You know, as he, as he progresses and, and moves along, you know, not having turnovers, not making mistakes. You know, Jacksonville's not going to win a ton of games, but I think they're a team that can win four or five games before the season's over this year. And then, you know, you go into next year. Talking about Miami, I mean, you look at two, and two had a good game, too, on Sunday. You know, threw for 329 yards, threw for a couple of touchdowns. You know, that Dolphins team's just not as good as everybody thought they were going to be. You know, their defense was really good last year. They were in the top 10 in the league. They're in the bottom of every defensive category this year in the league. Their defense has just fallen off. If their defense played this year like they did last year, they would probably be in the hunt for a wild card spot like everybody kind of thought going into the season. But they've gotten no help, and two has had some injuries off and on. And so, you know, the team's just uh, not quite as good as we thought they were going to be this year. And, and are we worried about Tua? I mean, he's had, you know, injuries at Alabama, uh, obviously the serious one. And now he's dealt with some injuries here in the NFL. I mean, he, is he a guy that maybe you're a little worried about injury-wise? Or is it just one of those kind of growing pains for a young quarterback and he's going to be fine? And if that's if, if there is any worry, the rumors of Deshaun Watson, are going to going to grow back up into what they were at during the offseason? Oh, I think the rumors will keep going. Because Tua, unfortunately, because of that nasty leg injury that Tua had at Alabama, I don't think he's ever going to be the player that we thought he was going to be a couple of years ago watching him in college. He just doesn't have that mobility. He doesn't have he doesn't have even the quite the arm strength just because his legs not as strong as it was. Um, I think he's a fine quarterback. You know, I think he's going to be a game manager type guy. Is he a guy that's going to get you super excited and going to win Super Bowl games? Uh, I'm not sure. I think I think he's going to be I think he's going to be a steady quarterback, but I think because of the injuries. I don't think he's ever going to live up to the hype that he had two or three years ago while he was at Alabama. I think you're right. I think you're right. And like you said, the rumors around Deshaun Watson are going to continue to grow and grow and grow. And the less we hear about the lawsuits and stuff that are going on, it, it just gets you that much closer to him actually playing again. So we'll see how that plays out. Uh, Green Bay and Chicago, the big rivalry game. The uh, the Packers win that one. And uh, according to Wikipedia, uh, Aaron Rodgers still owns the Chicago Bears. Uh, I don't know if you, I don't know if you saw that or, or saw the, uh, the 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 sound clip of, of Aaron Rodgers on Sunday. Yeah, that was pretty funny. Honestly, he he was definitely letting the Bears fans know it. Um, you know, you got to give Aaron Rodgers credit. You know, the way they played in Week One, I thought, okay, he's he wants out of Green Bay, and we're not going to see much. But he's showing that old Aaron Rodgers fire, that will to win right now, and I, I have some respect for him because I really didn't expect to see a lot of that this year. Is he uh, one of your front runners for the MVP, or is he just having a good year? Uh, it's still early. Um, I would say he's probably in that top five right now. Okay, yeah, no, no, I agree one hundred percent there. Justin Fields had an okay game, and he's still kind of getting beat up, and you don't like to see that. 
it's it's really interesting. It's going to be interesting to see his progression this year. See if he actually can grow as a quarterback with a terrible offensive line in front of him. Yeah, I don't know what to think of Justin Fields. Uh, I watched most of that game, and I'm just not sure the kid's that good. Um, you know, he made some, he made a couple of throws, and then he makes some bad throw. I mean, and I know that's rookie adjustment, and the Bears aren't a great team, but I just I'm I'm not seeing it right now. I'm not seeing superstar quarterback there at AO. So we'll see what happens. We'll see how he progresses through the season. But right now, I'm just not convinced that Justin Fields is the future of the Bears. So what you're seeing in Trevor Lawrence is not something you're seeing with Justin Fields. If you can see progression and progress from from Lawrence, but you can't see it from Fields, that just right there shows you that you know one guy is learning and the other guy is just trying to live off of God-given talents. Yeah, and I mean they're two they're two different quarterback. You know, Lawrence is much more polished. You know, much more of a passer. Where you know Fields Fields is that scrambler. He wants to run. You know, he can make plays down the field when he has to. But you know, he's he's just not as he's just not as polished and as far down the road as Trevor Lawrence is as far as a pure passer. Yeah, well, we'll see how that uh, plays out. Uh, one young quarterback that is playing very, very well this year still is uh, Joe Burrow in Cincinnati. Uh, the Bengals take down Detroit. I don't think that was a bit of a big surprise there. We expected that one to go like that. Indianapolis beat Houston. The Rams easily over the Giants. Uh, Kansas City struggled a little bit against the Washington football team, and mainly because the Washington football team's defense is still super phenomenal. They were also celebrating the life of Sean Taylor. They retired his number 21, and obviously there was a little controversy around that as well, not just the Jackson Mahomes thing. I don't, I don't know if you got a chance to see any of the backstory about the uh, retirements of his number and the celebration and all that kind of stuff. It, it came out just a couple of days ago that they were going to do this, so fans were not able to prepare for it. If you saw the street dedication for, for Sean Taylor way, it was right in front of a bunch of porta potties. You know, you had basically the the area where VIPs that could be on the field. It was right on the retired number that was painted on the field. Of course, somebody was going to dance on it. Of course, somebody was going to step on it because that's where you're putting that only place you're putting these VIPs, these people that are having a chance to get onto the field. Why the hell you're doing that? I don't know. The fact that. Uh, the owner shows up in a hoodie to the the ceremony. Like it, it just once again for me reinforces how out of touch the Washington Football Team ownership is, and why Daniel Schneider just needs to go because the the racist undertones of it, for me at least, were right there. And how people aren't pushing harder for this team to be sold, it just. Oh, I mean, I, I, I'll say this. I was a huge Sean Taylor fan, so like it, it makes it a little bit more uh, for me because I thought he deserved a little bit more. But I, I don't know what your thoughts were on that. No, I'm a huge Sean Taylor fan as well. Uh, I was a huge fan of his when he was at Miami in college and then watched him in the NFL. Yeah, it was, it was totally disrespectful the way that was all handled. Why is Patrick Mahomes' brother a VIP? Why is that dude even on the? Why is he even on the field? I mean, because it's so TikTok. Make, that's ridiculous, you know. And just say, oh, I didn't realize. You can't say, oh, I was dancing and making a TikTok video and didn't realize that I was doing it on the number. It's a big painted number that you're dancing on. You, he did that on purpose. There's, but there's, you gotta focus, man. You gotta focus on your dance moves, right? 
But you, you're going to tell me he didn't see that before he started dancing? He knew what he was doing. Get out of here. He's the same guy that threw water on Baltimore fans yeah. a couple of weeks ago because they were booing his brother and said, oh, they were thirsty. Get him out of there. You know, he has no business being on the sidelines. Well, and that's that's something that Patrick has to handle. He has to be the one that says, look, I'm, I'm cutting you off. I'm not going to let this be a distraction for, for the team or for me or anything like that because that's what's gonna that's what's going to turn into. It's going to turn into a distraction. And something that that Patrick Mahomes does not need to deal with, the Chiefs do not need to deal with. Someone does need to cut off access at this point for this guy because that's two times, like you said this year, that he's been in the news and has kind of overshadowed what's going on in, in Kansas City. Yeah, and you know the biggest problem with the Chiefs, yeah, their defense is horrible. The other biggest problem with the Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes believes in his own hype now. You can see it. I mean, he's making throws. He threw a couple of balls up in the air yesterday that he had absolutely no business throwing, that he threw to nobody except Redskins defenders because he was trying to show off and do something unbelievable that is just bad football. And, you know, he's got to figure it out that he can't – every time he wants to – he doesn't – you know, he had a fumble one time, fumbled the snap, and he didn't want to take the sack – so literally, he just threw the ball up in the air with about four Redskins standing around it and watched them intercept it. And he did it twice, you know, just horrible throws because he's just not looking, throwing the ball wherever. And yeah, he was able to pull that off. But, and there was, you know, everybody talked about the Mahomes magic and this guy's great. But you start buying into that hype and you start doing those things all the time and it hurts your team and it's hurting his team right now. You mean Tyreek's not down there every time? No, and Tyreek's not played great either. He had a couple of balls that hit him right in the hands that he's dropped, Travis Kelsey. I mean, this team has bought into the hype that they can beat anybody and they can get – I mean, we heard Kelsey talk about how they were going to go 18-0 and right up until the start of the season and Tyreek talking about, you know, wanting to challenge this guy to a race and he's so much faster than everybody else. And, you know, there, there's so much around them that they've bought into that, you know, they're just not – their heads aren't completely into the games, and you can see it. I mean, they had no business beating the Redskins yesterday. No. If the Redskins had an offense, that game would have not, they would have lost because they played horrible for three quarters. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. I mean, it's going to, it's going to take a, a big slap in the face. And I thought they would have gotten it by now, but at this point, they need a big slap in the face to kind of right the ship. And uh, we'll see if that ends up happening. You know, maybe, maybe it's a game against Denver. Maybe Denver comes in there in the next couple of weeks and beats them. And then they sit there and go, Oh crap, we, we got to do this. Cause I think the Raiders, obviously that that's a, that's a team that they feel, I feel like can beat Kansas city. Um, you know, you look at the chargers, obviously they could beat Kansas city, but a team like Denver, if, if Denver were to go in there and beat them, I think that would be that moment where they go, Oh crap. We, we are, we got to figure this out. You know, honestly, after watching them for six weeks now, I think the best thing that, and, I'm going to make a whole bunch of people in Kansas City mad right now. The best thing, the thing that they may need is to miss the playoffs. That might be the wake-up call that they need is to sit at home for an offseason and realize that, hey, we have to refocus and not be worried about our State Farm commercials and not worried about challenging Usain Bolt to a race and Travis Kelsey's dating shows and all of this crap that they're doing otherwise. Yeah, I think you're 100% right. Uh, Minnesota, Carolina, that was a bit of a coin toss, and uh, that's kind of how it ended up becoming. Minnesota gets the win in overtime. Now, Greg Greg Joseph had a chance to win that game at the end of regulation, and the week after he wins the game at the end of regulation, he misses a kick. And as a a Vikings fan, you got to sit there and go, 
what the hell do we do to upset the field goal gods? Because it seems like it always comes down to a field goal attempt for Minnesota. And sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. I, what is it about Minnesota and kickers, man? Yeah, I don't know. They've got a long history of of that happening to them. Luckily for them, Kirk Cousins drove them down the field in that second possession of overtime and threw a touchdown won the game. You know, Kirk Cousins is actually having a really good year. He's not getting a lot of credit. Nobody's really talking about him. But if you look at his stats, he's having his best year in Minnesota right now. Well, I mean, he led them into field goal position at the end of the game to give him an opportunity. He did it the week before. He leads the the game-winning touchdown drive in overtime on, on Sunday. So, yeah, I think you look at it and you go, maybe all the hype around in the last couple of years, especially after signing that big contract, it got to him, but now that no one's paying attention and no one expects anything from him, that's when he's going to go out and play very, very well. So very interested to see how that plays out because Minnesota could be one of those sneaky teams in the playoffs that you get in there and, and you play them and all of a sudden they, they beat you and you go, oh, what? that's actually a, a pretty good team. So we'll see how that one plays out. Uh, Baltimore and the Chargers. Now, I, this was a, a game that almost everybody picked the Chargers because of, of the big win they had against Cleveland the week before and just the, the domination that they've shown this year, being able to put up as many points as they had. And Baltimore isn't as good as they could be. They lost their top two running backs at the start of the season, so they, they, they've kind of been down a little bit. But I tell you what, that Baltimore defense really stepped up for them yesterday and shut down that Chargers offense. Just six points allowed. And, and the rushing attack for – the Ravens between Latavius Murray uh, and oh my gosh, I can, Oh, Le'Veon Bell between Murray and Bell. They, they ran for like 187 yards oh, a week after their, their record of hundred yards rushing in, in a game was snapped. They came right back out and did it again. And it wasn't just Lamar Jackson either. He, he's done enough, but he threw two interceptions. So the fact that the chargers couldn't capitalize that Baltimore Ravens defense stood up and the offense did enough despite Jackson's two interceptions. Um, Baltimore's been the, the, the surprise for me the last couple of weeks. They really have. You know, I, I they had some injuries on defense, so I thought that the Chargers were going to be able to take advantage of that with the injuries in the secondary. But like you said, that defense stepped up. And you got to give Lamar Jackson a ton of credit. You know, he threw two interceptions. But he's definitely made big strides in his passing game this year. He's able to throw the ball. They're not defenses aren't just able to key on the running game this year. He's able to throw the ball. He's throwing touch passes. He looks like a much better passer. And Baltimore's a scary team. They're gonna be they're gonna be tough to contend with as you go down the stretch in the AFC. Very, very much so. And that that uh AFC North is starting to not look as good as we thought it was going to be this year. I mean, yes, Pittsburgh won last night a, a bit controversially, apparently. Uh, Cleveland's a little bit down, as we're going to talk about here in just a second. Baltimore's up there. Uh, but that AFC North, and Cincinnati's there too. I mean, it's, it's definitely going to be competitive, but maybe not as, as uh, I guess, record-wise as good as we thought it was going to be. And because of that, it's partially because of the Cleveland Browns. You know, they lose to Arizona yesterday. Arizona's still the lone undefeated team in the league. You got to look at Cleveland and go, man, a couple of missed opportunities this year, but really dealing with a lot of injuries. We talked about this before we came on the show. It's about 20 guys on the injury report leading up into this game on Thursday night for them. Uh, and that's a bit scary because it's a lot of offensive 
players, both your top running backs, Baker Mayfield's injured, Jarvis Landry, OBJ are all dinged up. A couple of defensive players as well. It's a little bit of a house of horrors for Cleveland right now. And as a Browns fan, I know you are are feeling it a little bit because this this year was supposed to be special. Yeah, I mean, it's there's still yeah. Remember, there's still eleven weeks. Oh yeah, there's still eleven weeks of football. But yeah, I mean, you know, people want to complain about their offense and what they didn't do yesterday. You're missing. You look at your offensive line. You're missing both of your starting tackles. You're missing both of your running backs. You know, halfway through that game, Baker got hurt for a while. Like you said, you don't have Jarvis Landry. This team is banged up. You know, they're three and three. They're banged up. You know, I don't know who they're going to put on the field. For Thursday night's game, you know, they're going to have a second opinion on Baker, you know, about his ribs and his shoulder. They're going to have them both looked at again, and people are trying to decide if that's because Baker's saying, I'm okay, my doctors say I can play, and the Browns are saying, wait a minute, let's take a look and calm down because, you know, he's played banged up for the last three or four weeks and hasn't missed a snap, and maybe he should because maybe, you know, you don't want to get him so beat up that he can't play down the stretch. So we'll see what happens there. Um you know, Jarvis Landry was cleared to go back to practice towards the end of the week last week, so he should be back. You know, Odell got hurt, missed a little bit of the game, but then came back and had five catches for 80 yards in the second half of that game yesterday. So that's a positive sign. Kareem Hunt's out for three weeks now, so at least that's a little bit scary. You hope you get Nick Chubb back. You're not sure exactly how long Chubb's going to be out. Um, so, yeah, they're definitely, they're definitely in a bad way right now. But, uh, you know, the NFL is so up and down that, you get through these next couple of weeks and get guys healthy, and you still got plenty of time to make a run at that wild card. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, it's it's still a long season. Seventy three yards rushing against Arizona uh, yesterday, not uh, not very good there, but you know dealing with injuries for sure. And like you said, Baker nineteen of twenty eight, two thirty four, two touchdowns and in, in an interception. So it's not like he played poorly. It's just that this team could not finish yesterday, and that's really what kind of bit them in the end in that loss to Arizona. And, I think, you know, Arizona's undefeated, and yet people still are, are kind of downplaying them as far as the the team this year. I mean, yeah, there, yeah there's question marks surrounding Kyler Murray. He's he's a guy that you just – he's small. You're not really entirely sure what you're you're getting out of him. I mean, I look at him as a little bit of a, a Russell Wilson from the first five years of his career where people really underestimated him, and he just went out there and balled out uh, every single year. And yeah, he had a great defense that helped him as well. But you know, twenty of thirty-two, twenty-nine of four touchdowns, no interceptions yesterday. That's a pretty good number. You got DeAndre Hopkins who caught two touchdowns yesterday. You've got a running back in Kenyon Drake and, and James Connor. James Connor's kind of had a bit of a resurgence this year for Arizona. And then you got the defense led by JJ Watt. I mean, th- this is a team that's quietly putting together all of the pieces. And then they just traded for Zach Ertz. Now I don't know how much he's actually going to bring to this team. But that's just another piece that you can add into it in a highly competitive AFC or NFC West with the Rams up there as well. So, I mean, you look at Arizona and you go, okay, are they for real? Now, I, th- I, I coined yesterday as, a, as a, a signature kind of game for them that if they go out and beat Cleveland, that, that, that proves to me that they're here and they're real. Yeah, Cleveland, once again, is a little bit beat up. But I, I, I look at it I go, I think Arizona's real. Yeah, I do too. I do too. You know, I mean, when you look at the fact that they beat the Rams convincingly the week before that, you know, Kyler Murray's played really well. You know, there were questions because of the way they started. You know, they started off so well last year and then kind of fell off. But, you know, hopefully they learned from that. You went out and you added a guy like A.J. Green 
at that other wide receiver spot. You got a guy like you said, Kenyon Drake, out there. And then Zach Ertz. I think Zach Ertz is going to be huge because that's going to be kind of a safety valve for them, you know, in the passing game. And he's a good blocker. I think he, you know, with his playoff experience, I think that's going to be huge for them. J.J. Watts played really well. That defense has played well. And while the Rams are good, the rest of the West, you know, is not good. San Francisco is not good. And Seattle, you know, is beat up. You know, who knows when Russell Wilson's going to touch the field again. Um, you know, I picked Arizona to finish second and go to the playoffs. They may end up winning that division. I mean, they may be the best team in the NFC. I, I think they are right now. I, I don't know if there's any other team out there. I mean, you, you could look at Dallas per se, but I don't know. I mean, they, they struggled with New England yesterday, got the benefit of a, of a couple calls, and I, I mean, they absolutely owned that game against New England. It's just they couldn't finish, just a little bit like Cleveland in a sense. So, uh, I mean, I think you have to look at Dallas as being one of those top teams. They, they obviously have it record-wise. Uh, but I think right now you have to put Arizona at the top. They haven't lost a game, so that, to me, trumps everything. So, uh be real interesting to see how that plays out as well. Uh, Las Vegas beat Denver yesterday. Uh, that was a pretty decent game as well. Distractions aside, the Raiders were able to block all of that out and get the victory yesterday. Dallas, overtime victory over the Patriots. Dak Prescott had another great game. And then last night you had Pittsburgh winning in overtime against Seattle. So real quickly, just just give me uh, who, who you think. I mean, we talked about top team in the, in the NFC, but – you know, right now, is it Arizona for you in the NFC, and who is it in the AFC for you? Uh, NFC, I think you, you know, I think there's three teams you look at in the NFC right now. You got to look at Arizona, you got to look at Dallas, and you have to still look at Tampa. And the Rams would be that fourth team, kind of right behind them. Um, but you have a ton of questions about all of those teams still, except for Tampa. And then in the AFC, I think it's Buffalo, probably Baltimore's right there with the way they've played. Buffalo and Tennessee are going to come down. It's going to come down to a nail biter in Monday Night Football too, as it's thirty-one twenty-seven right now in this game. But yeah, I think Buffalo and Baltimore right now are your top two in the AFC, and then you know you can throw, you can kind of throw a pin against the wall and just blindly pick that third team because you know the Raiders are right there. I think you know Kansas City if they get their stuff together could still make a run. Cleveland if they get healthy, you know Tennessee should be better than they've played this year. Um, you know, a team that's going to has the chance to sneak up on some people all of a sudden again. People were talking about them in the offseason, then they had injuries. Now they're starting to play a little better. Indianapolis is starting to show some signs of life. Carson Wentz has looked pretty good for the most part. You know, and that division's kind of up and down, you know, because like we said, the the uh, Titans have not played as well as everybody expected them to this year. So, you know, there's still a bunch of there's still some big questions there, but there are three or four teams that are sort of rising to the top in each of those conferences. Yeah, and it's still really early in the season, oh, obviously yeah. week six, so still plenty of games to go and, and get some separation. But yeah, there there are a couple of teams that you look at and you go, Okay, I think they safe to say they are gonna be near the top when this uh is all said and done. All right, before we get out of here, Scott, uh why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit more about the Real Men More Pink campaign and uh we're really kind of Got to continue to push on this. We only got a couple weeks left. Yeah, it's we're starting to wind down. We're it's crazy. October, we're facing the end of October. Halloween's just a week and a half away, which is crazy. We're almost to the holidays, but we do have a couple of more weeks. Breast Cancer Awareness Month is still going. You can still donate. You can go to all our social media pages. You can go to my page, give money, help. Any little bit that you can donate helps. 
to fight against the battle against cancer, breast cancer especially. And uh, please just spread the word. Uh, go to, like I said, go to our link, share the page, share the links. Just help us do whatever you can to help fight breast cancer, and hopefully we can knock this thing out in the near future. Yeah, if we can eliminate cancer in our lifetime, I think that would be a huge, huge piece to leave for generations to come. So let's do everything we possibly can to end this and eradicate this just horrible, horrible disease. So, okay, uh, great show tonight. We want to thank you guys for for joining us. We had a lot to talk about, and uh, we'll have a lot more to talk about as we go along. The Blues season is underway. We still have plenty of NFL talk the rest of this way, uh, the rest of this season. College football still in full swing. Uh, MLB free agency will be coming up soon, and we got the NBA starting tomorrow as well. That's something we're going to have to dive into a little bit more because we don't really have an NBA team, and uh, we, you know we're NBA free agents in a sense. You know we had the NFL free agency with Tom Franklin. We're going to have to start getting some NBA free agency talk going between Scott and High, and maybe uh, a couple of local teams, and see if anybody will jump on our bandwagon and uh, and have us be brand ambassadors. Yeah, we've got a couple of teams not uh, too far away that have got some talent. We'll have to start reaching out to uh, Chicago and Memphis. Maybe we can get somebody to jump on board. Oklahoma City, not that far away either. Yeah, I'll, t- I'll take any of them. I- I'd love I'd love the Bulls just because I was a Jordan fan, but Memphis oh, yeah, would be another too. really, really cool one to be a part of as well. So, well, we want to thank you guys for joining us once again. For Scott, I am Wags. Have a great night, a great week. Enjoy this fall weather because it's beautiful outside. It's my kind of weather. And uh, make sure you join us on Wednesday night for more Toasted Tavern. Until then, have a great rest of your week. Hey, it's you, man, here from Casey. For all your sports news, catch the Toasted Tavern with Scott Tobin and the man called Wags weeknights at 9 p.m. You can follow Toasted Tavern on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Let's get toasted.